an official message from Medicare. A new law is helping me save more money on prescription drug costs. Maybe you can save too. With Medicare's Extra Help program, my premium is zero and my out-of-pocket costs are low. Who should apply? Single people making less than $23,000 a year or married couples who make less than $31,000 a year. Even if you don't think you qualify, it pays to find out. Go to ssa.gov slash extra help. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Football Social Daily. Your daily Premier League podcast. How's it going? Welcome to Tuesday's Football Social Daily, your daily fix of all things Premier League. This is the only podcast with a new episode every single day of the top flight season. So if you're new, then welcome to the show. And why not leave a review if you like what you hear? Of course, it is the international break right now. And the return of the Premier League isn't too far away. It's very much around the corner, in fact. But first... England have a World Cup qualifier tonight as they play Hungary at Wembley. Gareth Southgate expected to make changes again and the Three Lions boss says he feels like he's committing a crime every time he picks a team. We'll discuss how we think England will fare this evening on Football Social Daily today as well as having a look at some of the latest transfer gossip doing the rounds. A few stories cropping up from the continent recently, including talk of a potential return to Chelsea for Eden Hazard. We'll look into that as well as the latest on Arsenal's Alex Lacazette and Manchester City's Bernardo Silva on Football Social Daily today. I'm Niall McCorn and alongside me we've got Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor. Morning boys. Morning lads, you alright? Morning, good morning. <laughs> Very delayed. Are you awake, Joel? <laughs> bit of a slow start to the day. <laughs> He's just about, I reckon Joel's just crawled out of bed. You can blame him. It's a bit pretty miserable morning here in Manchester today. We're going to be talking about England versus Hungary and some of the big transfer gossip doing the rounds, mainly in papers coming out of the continent, the likes of Italy and Spain, some stories around Eden Hazard and Bernardo Silva from Manchester City as well as involved in these uh, paper stories. But first, we're going to focus on England because, of course, they play tonight ahead of the return of the Premier League at the weekend. It is international break, of course. That game kicks off at 7.45 at Wembley and Hungary are the opposition. Once again, Gareth Southgate likely to make changes from the side that dispatched Andorra pretty comfortably by five goals to nil. Before we do talk about the Hungary game, though, Marley, we need to talk about Ildefons Lima for Andorra. (laughs) 
who actually responded to us on social media yesterday, which was nice. He did. By the looks of his Twitter feed, he just uh, he spent all day replying to everybody that had mentioned him since Saturday night, I think. Um, <laughs> he's, yeah, um, obviously, if you don't know, he's the guy who tried to, to chase uh, Jaden Sancho and instantly regretted it as he uh, he instantly snapped his... He probably tore his hamstring, to be fair, the poor lad. Um, yeah, I, I was trying to find out what his, what his proper job was, um, but I can't, I can't do it because, you know, the, the Google is not great on Andorra and football as real jobs, but he's 41 years old. He made his debut for Andorra in 1997. He's got 100, <laughs> 123 caps, and for most of his caps, he was... Uh, he was centre back alongside his brother, which is brilliant. Um, and he's also got one of the uh, the best shirt collections you've ever seen because he's I think he, apparently he's got over like nine hundred shirts that he's swapped in his career, and he's just got them all in his house. And he's he seems like a really cool guy. Probably I should have asked him to come on the podcast. I just don't know what his English is like. Oh, that would be amazing. We'll try and get him on. Ildefons <laughs> Lima, the story of how Jaden Sancho pinged his hamstring. Uh, we won't see any Ildefons Lima tonight, of course, because England's opponents are Hungary rather than Andorra. And there are going to be changes from that Andorra game, Joel. Is there anyone in particular in England colours who you want to see get a game tonight against the Hungarians? Um, well, I think the two that stood out for me in the previous game were Sancho and Foden. I thought, but I think to be fair, the game was a pretty standard win, wasn't it, for England, where you would expect them to be winning against a team like that, where you've got 41-year-olds tearing the hamstrings on the sidelines. <laughs> but um, I thought they were both really impressive. I think it was Sancho's best game of his season so far, um, and he needed it. And yeah, I think purely because there was just so much more space on the pitch for them to dominate. I think they had 92% possession at one point during the game, which kind of says everything. But I thought Foden was the kind of shining star of the side, if, if I'm honest purely because he started to play as a bit more of a deep-lying playmaker rather than being a bit more closer to the opposition's goal. And he just reads games very, very well. He's just so aesthetic on the ball. He reminds me of uh, Moussa Dembele, you know, the way he just kind of glides around the pitch quite effortlessly. doesn't look like he gets out of second gear quite often. Um, And it just seems like he's moulding into that Bernardo Silva-type role really well. Um, And although at the end of the Euros last in the July tournament just gone. He drifted out of the side a little bit. He, fe- he kind of fell out of favour. It seemed like Southgate was choosing players who he trusted a little bit more in the big games with a bit more physicality against these bigger sides. But I feel like in the next tournament and especially in the games coming up, I think he'll definitely be a much bigger part of um, Southgate's plans purely because now... I think we're seeing his versatility in games where he's not just a player who can just drift out on the wide right and kind of cut inside. He seems like someone who really understands the game well. He can uh, come deep, he can come short, he can go long. He's got passing distribution. And yeah, I think Southgate's still quite unsure with who to go for. But to be honest, those two are the ones I would definitely uh, be looking at right now. Tammy Abraham, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he does again. Started off the game quite slowly. um, And obviously he's under the managerial role of uh, Mourinho so I'm interested to see how he fares next to Sancho again because it did look quite bright yeah we'll talk about strikers in a sec but I'm glad that Joel picked up on Jaden Sancho and his performance because he was one of the players who got some stick and some not very nice stick at that after the Euros with that penalty shootout defeat against Italy in the final Bukayo Saka was also on the score sheet against Andorra and he was another who was really put through some nasty abuse after that result 
it's good to see them scoring goals again and good to see them involved again for England, Marley, because I can't even imagine how horrific that must be for those young players. But, you know, it, it's going to take a while to kind of to shake that and to forget about that. But scoring goals in England colours is always a great way to silence any critics, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's no no better way to shut people up than to do, you know, what football's all about. Score goals, you know, win games. Um, abuse is never going to go away. We, you know, we, we can go over that again and again and again. But, you know, it's... Um, you. You know, you're never going to get to a situation where no one, no one's ever going to find nothing to moan at. But you know, it's obviously dampened a lot when you when you score, when you win. So you know, long may it continue. I think, you know, England are, are um, as strong as they have been ever in my lifetime. Definitely. Um, in terms of the harmony and stuff around the squad, they all seem like it's almost like a club atmosphere where they're all pulling in the same direction. So, you know, in previous years you've had, you know, Lampard and Gerrard and sort of that thing of oh they can't play together and it was always the 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 club's fault it was almost too much rivalry <laughs> and it was like well we don't I don't really want to pass to the Chelsea guy if I'm a Liverpool guy you know what I mean it was it was all a bit strange in previous years and there was a bit of a always a uh, an underlying atmosphere in the in the squads it seemed so now there isn't and you, you, you do feel like the mates um off the pitch on the pitch and it shows so mm. you know long way that continue Paul Scholes left mid. Come on, Sven, you're an Ericsson. Never going to forgive you for that. Also, did Sven not know that the 4-2-3-1 formation existed? I still think that you could have had Steven Gerrard and Paul Scholes as slightly deeper players. And then you could have had Frank Lampard in a 10, David Beckham out on the right, whoever you want out on the left. And then whoever you want up front out of Owen, Fowler, <laughs> Shearer, any of them. Stick them, stick them all in the team. Um, but of course... As you mentioned, England's talent at the moment is extensive. And Gareth Southgate, talking before the game, Joel, said, these are his words, that he feels like he commits a crime every time he picks the team. And that's purely down to the talent in the squad. Can you understand where he's coming from? Because it doesn't matter who he picks, Gareth Southgate. He does get stick from different corners. You know, if he leaves Foden out, people are saying, why has he left Foden out? If he leaves Harry Kane out, people are saying Harry Kane's the best striker. Why is he leaving him out? So I can understand what Southgate's saying. What about you? What do you think? Yeah, he's he's in a position where no matter what he does, he's going to get it wrong regardless, isn't he? Where every single person, especially this day and age, where I think more than when Sven was in charge, fans now are more fans of individual players than they are of the actual team. So when Grealish gets left out, his entire fan base is not happy. Or when Sancho gets left out, the whole United fan base isn't happy. So Southgate needs to just do what's right for his team and his system. And the only thing that worries me with that is the fact that every other top nation, they seem to have their first 11. Like if I told you what's Italy's first 11 or what's Spain's first 11, you know instantly right off the cuff what the kind of system they're going for is. Whereas Southgate, I feel like, with the amount of talent he has, he can play in so many different ways with like Grealish and Foden who are a little bit more narrow or Sterling and Sancho, which are more kind of very um, wide, spread the pitch type players, a lot of pacing behind. So he's got many different tools to his artillery if he wants to kind of adapt to different teams. But it does kind of worry me away in a little bit that he still isn't 100% sure of what that team will be on the very opening day of the World Cup. It was the same with the Euros when, you know, Foden came out the side. Then Sancho came in for a little bit. It, it was like he's 
he's still understanding, well, what, what is the best strength on my side? Is it the fact that we're a ball-playing side? Is it the fact that we're a counter-attacking side with our pace? And at the end of the day, I, 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 don't, envy, I don't envy any England manager because no matter what team he fields, even, even in victory, there'll always be critics. So he just needs to go with what he feels is right for the system and just play to the England strengths because it'll be an absolutely missed opportunity if we don't get um, a trophy for the first time in 40, 50 years because he's probably the most talented and will be the most talented crop of English players for a number of years. Yeah, England have got close. Obviously, World Cup semi-final 2018, the final of Euro 2020, which was played this summer, lost out on penalties. So they've been close and it is something that Southgate, I know, is desperate to try and achieve. And why wouldn't he be with the quality that he's got? You mentioned systems there, Joel. And actually, I thought it was interesting we should talk about strikers because Harry Kane is clearly the best striker that England have got. And even though he's not in form at the moment and he's had a pretty poor start to the season by his standards, there are question marks over where his head's at. Does he want to play for Tottenham, etc.? Hangover from the summer transfer saga, all of that stuff, I still think is immaterial when you're putting and categorising England strikers. I think Kane is top of the list. But we need to find someone who's going to be able to play second fiddle to Kane. And I know no footballer wants to be second best or second fiddle. But that is just the situation that we find ourselves in with Kane. Because not only is he the best, he's also the England captain. So I wanted to ask you both, who you think the best striker is after Harry Kane? Danny Ings doesn't fit the system, I don't personally think. And he doesn't get in the team that often. He's not been picked for the last couple of squads. And maybe Southgate again is tinkering with the system. Some of the others that we've seen maybe aren't quite at the level just yet. Patrick Bamford, Ollie Watkins, both good strikers, but can you rely on them in a tournament in the World Cup in 2022, for example? We'll have to wait and see. They might improve and kick on hugely between now and then. Tammy Abraham's in the team at the moment. Is it him? For me, I think Dominic Calvert-Lewin is the, is the best fit after Harry Kane from what I've seen in the last couple of years. But everyone's got a different opinion. So I'll ask you first, Marley, who do you think's the best alternative to Harry Kane, particularly for the World Cup in 2022 with that in mind? Uh, I think it's it's a tough one, really, because, you know, England have got that many strikers and they all do slightly different things. So, you know, taking taking someone to be second choice behind Kane, as, as everybody is going to be, um, is a tough one. I think, I think the best finisher, other than Kane, is Danny Ings, um, of everybody. Um... I think the the best uh, aerially in best best guy in the area is Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I think the fast you know the fastest and most sort of hard to deal with overnightly might be might be Watkins, um, but I feel like he's the less the least prolific. Um, I don't think Bamford scores enough goals. I think Callum Wilson gets too many injuries to be really considered. So, I think when you look at that, I'd say Calvert-Lewin is is up there and he'd definitely be in the squad for me. But in terms of all round play, I think. Tammy Abraham's got absolutely everything you need. He's got height, he's got pace, he, he can be physical, he can come short and link the play and run away from a defender at the same time, you know. He's he's probably the pick he's he's probably like the perfect hybrid of all the styles of striker that England have. Um and he can do a bit of everything rather than you know, he's he's it's not, it's not like he's oh yeah, he's he's a great finisher but he's poor in the air. I think he's got a pretty much everything you need to be Kane's backup, so Especially now he's getting first team football and he's doing well in in Italy. You know he's, I think he's uh, he's probably in that sort of pole position for me. 
Yeah, definitely with the way he started. And learning under Jose Mourinho, as Joel pointed out earlier, is obviously going to be huge for him in a top European league in Serie A, one of the top five in, in in Europe, of course. I mean, in terms of finishing, for me, Joel, I mean, Marley says it's Danny Ings. And I know this guy hasn't been involved in the England squad really for well over a year now. But Mason Greenwood, I think, is one of the best finishers in the Premier League. And we're talking about possibly who could be back up to Harry Kane. But Greenwood never really seems to be in the conversation. Now, you're a Manchester United fan, Joel, so you're going to be slightly biased here. But we haven't seen Greenwood for a while involved with the England setup. I think there's some sort of plan or agreement in place for Greenwood moving forward between perhaps Solskjaer and Southgate. Do you think we'll see him involved in the World Cup in Qatar as perhaps an option behind Harry Kane? Because I think Marley's right. I think it's a toss-up between probably Calvert-Lewin and Abraham at the moment. But things can change so much in the months between now and the World Cup. Yeah, I mean, you just read my mind. I was literally screaming Mason Greenwood while you guys were talking. Um, just because I totally agree. I I personally believe he is the best finisher behind Harry Kane, just in terms of his cool clinicalness. Um, I think the only issue is that because there seems to be some kind of agreement, even a rift between Southgate and Solskjaer, I think after the Iceland debacle between Foden and Greenwood that time during the pandemic, I think something on the back of that has really changed everything for Greenwood in that England side. Um, I'm not sure of the ins and outs, but I don't think Solskjaer was particularly happy with how he was dealt with during that, in terms of a bit of lack of protection from Southgate. Um, And yeah, in terms of just protecting Greenwood from the kind of critique that he probably would still be getting, I can only imagine if Greenwood would have stepped up to take a penalty in that Euro 2020 final and how much that may have affected him if he did or did not score. Um, but I definitely feel as though, back up for Kane, but I don't. he's not a striker. This is the thing. I think he's way better as that kind of inside right forward where, in, in a way, the kind of Mo Salah role where he's kind of a little bit more narrow but provides that width. He's not got his back to goal. And I feel like he would be such a kind of Achilles heel for any team if you were to bring him on because the kid is like 19, 20 and he literally needs one one chance and he will put it away. And for someone that young, it's so rare because usually that comes with maturity. As we're seeing in you know Tammy Abraham's game, that's starting to come a little bit more now. Harry Kane, it kind of took him until he was 22, 23 and he started to really get it under his locker again. Um, but I definitely agree with Marley just purely because Green was not been involved in the setup for quite a while. I'm not quite sure Southgate will take the punt on him. However, I definitely would because he's, for me, the best in terms of his finishing after Harry Kane. But I think after watching the Euro 2020 when Kane kind of got a little bit isolated in some of those games, I feel like you need a real strong powerhouse forward who reads games really well. And I think Abraham fits that mould really nicely. You have to be very good in the air because we have such good width from the wing-backs, from the wingers, or if it's Grealish and Foden kind of trying to thread the uh, pass through a needle, a needle in a haystack in the box. You need that kind of player to be able to finish it with one chance because that's what it's going to take in a World Cup. So for me, Abraham would be the one, and I wouldn't have said that six months ago, but like you said, Niall, considering he's going to be playing his trade in one of the best leagues in the world under Jose Mourinho in a Roma side, which is like one of the biggest in Italy, he needs that. And I think it's come at the perfect time for him in his career. 
crazy to think that Tammy Abraham wasn't even involved in the matchday squad for the Champions League final back in May when Chelsea beat Manchester City. That was only, what, five months ago? And now he's one of England's premier choices when it comes to strikers. I agree with what you say about Greenwood as well. I think getting the wrong side of defenders and causing problems is something that he does really well. But also he's been used quite a lot out wide, hasn't he, by Manchester United at times. And maybe that's playing into Southgate's thinking in terms of, okay, I'm quite settled and happy with my wide players. In terms of a forward option through the middle, is that Greenwood's best position? I still don't think we know yet. I still don't think we know where Mason Greenwood's best position is. I think he's so good and versatile wherever he plays, whether it's wide left, wide right, sometimes 10, sometimes 9. I think he's quite capable wherever and maybe that's a a problem that Southgate sees and wants Manchester United to solve in terms of give him a position and see how he gets on. Let's talk about Jack Grealish just finally while we mention England. We are expecting uh, the three Lions to beat Hungary tonight. They need to win two out of their next three qualifiers to secure passage to the World Cup in the Middle East next winter. But Jack Grealish has also been a topic of conversation, Marley. Southgate was talking before this game tonight about how Grealish's confidence has increased since his move to Manchester City. Now, that's a fair enough comment to make, but do you agree with it? Because I never thought confidence was a problem in the first place for someone like Jack Grealish. He seems so calm and not fussed, nonplussed, I suppose you could say, every time he takes to the field. Yeah, it's a bit of a strange one, that. I'd, I would agree with you. I don't think he's, he's a player that's ever lacked confidence, you know. Ever since he came through the Youth Academy at Aston Villa, you know, he was captain at a young age. You know, that doesn't come if you're not a confident lad, you know. Um, the way he was the talisman for Villa, yeah, give you know, give me the ball, I'll do something. It, it, he's never lacked confidence, so it's it's a bit strange. I don't know whether he means more sort of belief when he's, when he's at Man City, because, you know, when he's, at, when he's at Villa and he's confident he's playing well, um, maybe there was always like a... Uh, a question in his mind of, you know, am I am I really good enough to get in that Man City team? Will will they come in for me? Uh, do they believe as good as I think I am? Um, because maybe that's where, you know, when when you move to City, when you get that move for that price and that type of um, sort of headlines and and media attention, all that, you know, I think that is where you start to believe. Okay, yeah, I I am. They think I'm I'm as good as I think I am. So you know they believe in me, and maybe that just takes him to a slightly bigger level. But I'm not sure in terms of actual confidence that it's it's as as black and white as as just being more confident. I think it's it's more you know I belong at the top of the game, and I've got my move because I was playing really really well last season, and that's why I now play for Man City, and that's why people need to fear me when they they line up against me type of thing. So I think maybe it's more belief than confidence, but it's still it's a fair enough comment, I suppose, by by Southgate. He sees another side of him that, that the general sort of um, population doesn't see, I suppose. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think it's exactly what you said about belonging at the top level of the game. You know, Jack Grealish has played in the Champions League for City this season, which is what he said he wanted to do, in all fairness, when he mentioned possibly leaving Aston Villa and he would only want to leave Aston Villa to compete for trophies and to play in the Champions League and he's doing that at the moment and maybe when he was at Villa he felt like you know that level in terms of being an England regular and an England starter maybe he wasn't quite there yet despite his performances suggesting otherwise but that's the only reason I can think of as to why Southgate 
might say might say that because as you say I don't think Grealish has ever been someone who's been short of confidence from the moment we first ever saw him play for Aston Villa but England do play tonight Grealish might not be on the side because there will be changes made to the side that beat Andorra 5-0 last time around at the weekend but we are expecting England to do the job tonight over Hungary but it's never always that straightforward that being said there are some good players on show regardless of the team that Southgate picks We're going to do some transfer gossip next because as it's the international break, you always get some juicy stories. And there's a few coming from the continent, including a possible Chelsea return for one Eden Hazard. We'll talk about it next here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. We are the only Premier League-focused podcast that releases a new episode every day of the season. None of this Monday to Friday part-time stuff. Saturdays and Sundays, we've got shows for you. So if you like what you hear and you really do want to stay bang up to date with everything that's going on in the English Premier League, then hit subscribe or follow or whatever it might be on whichever platform you use to listen to podcasts. And that way you'll be kept in the loop with us here at Football Social Daily. Also, if you're a football fan or a fan of any other sport for that matter, why not check out our podcast network, sport-social.co.uk. That's the website address. And if you just click the podcast tab, there's a full array, there's a full roster, of loads of different podcasts from all different sports including the likes of wrestling and snooker and speedway so if you're looking for something a little bit different from football or a little bit niche then why not check the podcasts out over there on the network loads of great stuff including specific dedicated podcasts for a number of premier league teams which you can go and check out so that website address again sport-social.co.uk and just click the podcast tab and you'll be taken straight to the podcast network time to talk gossip now not the general run-of-the-mill gossip, transfer gossip, of course. And Chelsea, top of the agenda, as they've allegedly held informal talks over the re-signing of Eden Azar from Real Madrid, with Rhys James potentially going the other way in a swap deal. This comes from Catalonian paper El Nacional. And this was one that I was a little bit surprised by, Joel, to be honest. It felt like Chelsea had really drawn a line under the Eden Hazard era. They've won the Champions League without him. They look like they're going to be a Premier League title contender this season. Eden Hazard back at the bridge. I can see it happening, but at the same time, I just don't think it's necessary. What's your thoughts on this? Yeah, it feels to me as though Chelsea fans are trying to resuscitate something from the dead that's just never coming back to life again. I mean... I know a lot of Chelsea fans and they would in a heartbeat take him back to Chelsea. I think purely because of the nostalgic, like reminiscent feeling around him at the club because he's a bit of an icon there. But I think what they need to accept is that that hazard of the past is just not a player that's there anymore. Um, In his time in Madrid, I mean, in the last season, he played 14 games. He got three goals last season. The season before that, 16 games, which is totally uncharacteristic. Because when you look at his previous three Chelsea seasons before he actually made the move to Madrid, he was starting, he played nearly 52 games every single season consistently. So it's not a case of, you know, he's downed his tools or there's just something that's categorically gone wrong at Madrid and it just seems like all of a sudden his body's kind of letting him down a little bit. Um, I feel as though when you're a big money transfer and you need to go to someone like Real Madrid, you have to have a certain ego about you to actually rise to that challenge and 
granted, you know, injuries have not helped him, but, you know, the previous number seven before him is a totally different kind of animal in terms of his mentality towards it. I mean, Ronaldo, when he left United to go to Madrid, he was 23, most expensive player of all time. And he he made that number his own and he made the club his own. Whereas with Hazard, even at Chelsea, you know, he's never been a real numbers guy. He's never scored more than 20 goals in the league ever. Um, same for Belgium as well. And he's someone who, you know, he's not the main man in the side. There always is another couple of players who kind of rise to the challenge with him. And I'm not sure whether Madrid expected someone different but he was never, ever going to get the numbers that Ronaldo got or anything close to it. Maybe not even the same as how what Benzema's doing at the moment. Um, and I feel like he's just not got the ego to be at that club. He needs to be at a club that's a little bit more caring and has the patience. And, you know, we know what Madrid fans are like. I mean, they had the the white handkerchiefs out for Ronaldo at certain points and he's the greatest player ever. Um, but it can it's, it's a gamble that I feel like would not harm the team at all because Zayic is still probably better than him I've not been impressed with him at all and I feel like Chelsea do need a little bit more of that creativity towards Lukaku at the moment um, especially with um, the forward line at the moment it's I feel like it still needs work it still needs that gel in time to actually start really ticking away despite the fact that the top of the league um, but I know Chelsea fans were definitely taking back, but he's 31 now. Age isn't on his side and, you know, these injuries aren't going to get any better. They're probably going to get worse if you would think about it. So, you know, it'd be a modest fee, I'm sure. And I'm sure Real Madrid would be happy for people to take him off his hands and release that number seven shirt for Mbappe next year. But for me, that ship sailed and I think Tuchel knows it too. I'm pretty sure this is kind of just, you know, a bit of paper talk, if I'm honest. Yeah, he has had his injury problems, Eden Hazard, since he arrived at Real Madrid. And I think that has played a part in the so few games he has played over in La Liga. But if you just quickly do a Google search of Eden Hazard this morning, the three top stories that come up are all slightly different in terms of tone. Uh, One newspaper says Chelsea hold sensational transfer talks over Eden Hazard return. Another paper says Eden Hazard on brink of Chelsea return after Real Madrid struggles. And a third Marley says we're all bored. So here's another Eden Hazard rumour. Which camp do you fall into? Because I'm with Joe. I think that it might not be the, you know, the fanfare and the silver trumpets in terms of a return that many people might be thinking of if it does go ahead. Yeah, I'm probably in in the third article you you read out there. Um, yeah, it's you know it's it's an easy clicker, isn't it? You know, if you write Eden Hazard in a in a headline, you know that the Chelsea fans are going to click it. Like, oh my God, is he coming back? Um, you know, it's I, I agree with Joel. He's not he's not the player he was. I think he's probably been he's probably been kicked too much in his career to have you know to push on into his thirties and still stay fit all the time and. You know the way he plays the game is very physical. Um, you know he struggled a lot with with uh, muscle injuries all through his career, really. Um, and I think it's it, yeah, he's probably best off left alone. If I'm honest, I think. Although having said that, it's hard to be at Real Madrid when you're not playing because the fans soon turn on you. Um, seen that with Bill. You know, Bill was Bill. Bill was a world beater, but he wasn't Ronaldo, so he was more or less you know, ostracised at, at Real Madrid. So it could end up like that for Hazard. And, you know, if you are going to, you know, turn it round there, it's, it's you know, like turning a lorry round on a single track 
road. It's it's very very tough to do once they've made their mind up about you. So with with the whole he could come back to Chelsea thing, I think you know I don't know what his contract situation's like, but I'm pretty sure he's got another couple of years in his contract at least. So there's going to be a transfer fee. There's going to be his wages. There's going to be his signing on fee. Um, there's the absolutely stacked full Chelsea squad right now. Um, so I don't think any of it makes sense, to be honest, if you think about it and break it down. You said, did Chelsea need him? No. Does he need Chelsea? Maybe, maybe more than Chelsea need him. Um, has, you know, if it's a hamstring injury, it's not like Real Madrid's medical facilities aren't up to scratch. So it's, it's more like him breaking down all the time. So would you take that? financial risk on a guy who's injured a lot like the whole thing doesn't really make any sense but if people print it people will read it um because Chelsea are one of the biggest clubs in the world and they've got a huge fan base all over the world and they'll all be thinking you know oh wouldn't it be great if we got him back but I don't think it'll it'll happen I don't think it would fully work out if it did happen do you think there's a player in there though still Marley do you think that the the quality is still there and it's just the injury issues or do you think that Eden Hazard he's kind of fallen on tougher times and if he did return to the Premier League it wouldn't be picking up where he left off he would kind of be a sort of a shadow of his former self because we've seen players at Real Madrid go through spells like this before I think Gareth Bale is is a great example to use where you know, he had a couple of real fallow seasons at Real Madrid, ended up going on loan to Spurs, and now he's back there and playing quite well again by the sounds of things. So what's your take in terms of that? Uh, I think if he, if he was if he got himself uh, fit for, you know, 20 games in a row, I think, that, I think he'd get back to a similar level. Maybe not quite the peak. I think his peak has probably passed, but um, he won't be far off because, you know, world-class players, when they get to a... Like, Hazard was... Arguably the best winger in the world at his um, at his peak, and when you've been to that that level, even if you get to eighty percent of it, you're still world class. Do you know what I mean? Like you, your peak is that high that even if you're not quite there, you're still better than you know seventy five, eighty, ninety percent of other players. You know you, you've got your ceiling is way higher, so there is still a quality player there. Um, but it's all it all it all depends on fitness. You know, he's thirty now. He's um, he, there's always the rumours, isn't it, that he, he puts on weight very quickly. Um, can he get himself in the shape? Can he get himself in that physical condition again? Because as you get older, your body changes. It's it's harder to get back to that physical peak, um, and and reproduce what you once did. So, um, I still think there's a quality player in there. It's just getting him fit. That's that we don't know until we find out. Okay, and the other part of this story, Joel, before we move on, is involving Reese James. And the newspapers are suggesting that Rhys James would need to go the other way to Real Madrid in order to facilitate Eden Hazard returning to Stamford Bridge. I think in terms of what we've seen from Rhys James in recent years, he's forced his way into the England squad on a number of occasions. He's been quite key in terms of how Thomas Tuchel wants to play. I think if Rhys James did leave Chelsea, that would almost be a bigger blow on the way out than it would be the positives of Hazard coming back at this moment in time. What do you think? No, I definitely agree. I feel like Real Madrid would probably be getting the better end of the deal in this occasion. Um, I think Tuchel's looking way more to the future in terms of building a side that's quite young, full of energy, can press. Um, and Hazard's just kind of taking back something that's really not there anymore. I think with Reese James, he's progressed incredibly in the last two to three years. 
um, and he fits Tuchel's system and his style of play so well, um, especially in the last couple of years where he's really made that position his own and he wasn't even really talked about in terms of the England side and now he's, you know, he's, he's up there with the, the the starting roles. Obviously, Kyle Walker's kind of a permanent fixture there at the moment, but he's definitely turning into something that I feel would be way more beneficial to Chelsea than if Chelsea were to take back a Hazard who is very much hit and miss as to whether he would come back and even be 50% of what he was to what Chelsea fans remembered him as. Whereas Reese James has got the main bulk of his career to go um, and he's got a huge amount of unrealised potential that I'm pretty sure he is going to reach under Tuchel's management because he's, he's a manager who can develop plays incredibly well. I mean, even looking at his time at Dortmund, he was managing some really incredible young talent who's gone on to become some of the best players in the world at the moment. So I feel like Reese James himself wouldn't really be looking to do that move either because he's under the right tutelage. And any England player going to the Bernabeu, you have to have, like I said with um, Hazard, you have to have a certain level of ego and a certain level of confidence to actually survive there, not just to thrive, but to survive. And we've seen it, you know, Michael Owen, Jonathan Woodgate. I think the only English players that survived there were David Beckham because he was a brand himself and Steve McManaman. The rest of them really haven't really shone at all. And that goes for many other nationalities. You've got to be a certain breed of player to actually survive there. And I don't think Reese James is that player. And I think he's way better suited at Chelsea to continue his career and just realise that potential under a better manager, I think, than Ancelotti at the moment. Okay, well, that's the latest Chelsea news when it comes to transfers. Eden Hazard could be on his way back to Stamford Bridge with Reese James going the other way. That's if you believe the Spanish paper El Nacional. Going to talk now about Juventus. So from Spanish press to Italian press, Calcio Mercato now and Bernardo Silva is allegedly on Juventus's list of targets for a loan move in January. Now, he's had a great start to the season for Manchester City. And Bernardo was also linked with a move away in the summer. What's your thoughts on this situation? Because Juventus aren't quite, for me, at the same level as they were even two or three seasons ago. No, um, you know, if, if like you said, if you'd have said this like three years ago, you know, you're joining an elite club. Um, I think they've got a lot of questions to answer um, Juventus at the minute. You know, they've the transfer business hasn't fully worked. You know, the likes of um, Matthijs De Ligt going there hasn't quite worked for him. Um, they're still relying on Benucci and Chiellini at the back, which is, you know, I mean, they're good, but they're old. Um, so there's, I think there's, they've got to go through almost a transition period now, Juventus. Um, and maybe that's why they're targeting Bernardo Silva and, and the likes of, of those players. But I feel like there's a lot of dead wood to come out of Juventus yet. Um, Aaron Ramsey's still there, not getting games. Um, I think Weston McKenney's there and probably surplus to requirements as well. Uh, Rabiot they've been talking about getting rid of. Um, so there's plenty to, to do before they can start bringing players in. Um, and it's just whether people, whether whether you can convince players that you, you know, you're going to build a team to get back to where you were because there's, I mean, Dybala's another one. There's another, there's been few future uh, rumours around his future for, you know, getting on for five, six years now and you almost expect him to leave every summer and he doesn't, he stays there and he does all right. It doesn't really do anything wrong and then he gets linked with another move somewhere else. So it's, um, I think Juventus are between phases right now. I think they're, you know, they were they were amazing, you know, three years ago. Now they're, they've lost Ronaldo and I think it's like a, a, a post-Ronaldo slump 
which um, clubs will will have. You know, Real Madrid have had it since since they lost him. Uh, Juventus have it when since they lost him. Be interesting to see what happens with with Man United if he moves on in a couple of years' time, because you almost get so used to playing with him. And I think even a few a couple of months ago, I remember reading something from Benucci that said we got complacent because we had Ronaldo and we just expected him to pull us through games. And this was an this was about probably about a month ago when Juventus had, hadn't won any of the first five games in in Serie A, and they and everyone was like, "What's going on? What's you know what's what's this?" Hangover that that uh, Juventus have gotten. Benucci was out. He was an amazing player, but he we, we, he was just too like we were too lazy because we had him in the team. We expected him to win us games and stuff like that. So I feel like that's where they are at the minute. And um, they're still quality. They still got quality players and a and a good manager who knows what he's doing. But you know, yeah, probably yeah. Um, but with you know Bernardo's playing the best football he has since the uh, twenty eighteen nineteen I think, um, so yeah it it is right now and I don't think there's much to tempt him right now. He's in the city team. He's playing really well. Um, the only thing that bothers him seems to be the weather, <laughs> and uh, and the fact that he's a little bit he seems a little bit unsettled with his with his personal life living in England and stuff like that. But we'll see how how true that is when you know because you know to to walk away from Man City now you know I think everyone agrees they're not far off winning the Champions League whether it's this year next year or the year after they're not far off so it does take a brave player who's in that team every week to to say no I think I'm unhappy enough to go and, and risk it somewhere else yeah what do you think of Bernardo Silva in terms of his qualities regardless of whether this loan deal to Juventus goes ahead Joel Bernardo has proven how good he can be and Marley suggested Ronaldo and Juventus relying on him to be a match winner I think Bernardo on his day is very much a match winner for Manchester City when he gets it going he can be one of the most attractive players to watch in terms of his ability on the ball and also the impact he can make you're definitely right there Bernardo Silva's undroppable for City at the moment and I think there were question marks under his position when uh, Grealish actually joined but it's been the, the complete opposite in my opinion I think Silva's probably the the first name on the team sheet for Guardiola. And if I ever saw a more Guardiola player than him, I mean, he fits every single attribute that he looks for in a side where he wants players to be aggressive in the pressing. He wants them to be really technical on the ball, read the game really well, um, and just have that desire every game. And he fits what a Guardiola player really is. He just kind of reminds me in a way of, not in terms of quality, but in terms of the kind of, method on the ball like Iniesta just the way he just unlocks defences and can really get a team moving um, threading balls through that no one else is seeing he's, he's seriously what probably one of the best players in the league at the moment and I think his underrated trait is like you said he can win games for you I mean when we look at that Leicester game the other week City was struggling to break down Leicester for large periods of that game and it just reminded me of David Silver. There was a game against West Ham at Upton Park years ago where he scored two goals and it won them the league eventually. And he's just moulded himself into a really big game player who never hides under pressure. And this kind of transfer, it reminds me of the Leroy Sane transfer if he does end up going. Purely because I think every other play, every other person, every other player, every other fan in the league would be happy to see the back of him. Just because he just... 
he's a player that you don't want him to be starting when he actually starts for City because he can really unlock defences so well. Um, but I think the only way that he leaves is purely if he wants to leave. I don't think City or Guardiola would be happy for him to leave. He's become a permanent fixture in their side at the moment. It's not like they need the money. Um, and I think the only way he goes is if he chooses to go. And of course, they won't stand in his way. Um, but I think Juventus is a massive step down. Not in turn, obviously, Juventus is by far the bigger club, and that's undeniable. But in terms of where the two teams are heading, Juventus have got a long, long road ahead to get over that Ronaldo lull after he's left. I mean, they're, they're currently sitting, I think, ninth in Serie A at the moment. And Bernardo Silva, for me, is way better than the Serie A style of play. He probably will be very comfortable there and the weather will be beautiful, the food will be beautiful. But, um, you know, in terms of career-wise, City's going places. Juventus are going to struggle for a long, long time after the Ronaldo departure and the Allegri uh, new era, which doesn't seem to be going very well so far. So, you know, I think City would be devastated if he left. Same with Leroy Sane, where they really wanted him to stay. But... You know, it's up to the player at the moment. Yeah, definitely. And then think about the match winning performances that he's had. You mentioned a couple of games there, but also there was a Manchester derby as well against Manchester United. I don't where, remember that one. <laughs> of course you don't. He scored a couple <laughs> of goals, I think. And, uh, you know, that was a, a really good performance from him individually. So he's definitely got that in his locker. Now we're going to talk about a player not signing a new contract because Alexandra Lacazette, the Arsenal striker, is allegedly not going to put pen to paper on a new deal at the Emirates. This is according to Football London. Does this come as much of a surprise to you, Marley, because he's out of contract at the end of the season and Arsenal haven't exactly enjoyed a great couple of seasons? No, not not really. Um, he's... He's, he's just I don't think he's ever really been first choice at Arsenal like when they signed him he had a he had a decent sort of start and that but when they signed Aubameyang it's always like it's you know nobody plays with two strikers really in the Premier League anymore it's it's tough so, so it always came down to is it Lacazette or Aubameyang up front and Aubameyang just had a better record he had, he had more to his game so it was almost like Lacazette was an afterthought a lot of the time um, and I feel like he's at a stage in his career now where he probably fancies a free move, a free transfer somewhere um, where he can go perhaps to a slightly lesser league, maybe back to France, for example, maybe back to Lyon or something like that. But um, he can he can take that sort of final move of his career where he's going to get paid the the bigger bucks and uh, and sort of swan off into the sunset a little bit because with, with the, the sign-on fee that he gets rather than the club, with the wages he gets, you know, I think he's uh, he's probably at that stage now where he can just say, right, I've I've been in England for what five or six years now, um, and I've done I've done all right. I haven't no one's going to call me a flop because um, he's done enough in his Arsenal career to to prove otherwise. So I feel like it's what just one of them where it seems to have come to an end now. Um, not sure where he'll end up. I've seen Newcastle linked with him, um, as I have with every other player that's ever lived in the last week or so. Um, it's like Loic Remy all over again. Jesus, yeah. <laughs> French striker needs to be moved yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, I'm still amazed QPR got him ahead of us that that uh, that year. But yeah, Lacazette probably just needs a new challenge now. Um, I feel like Arsenal need more in the striker department as well. So whether they've identified someone to come in and, and replace him is, is another thing, but they certainly need 
to address that situation as well. So I feel like it just suits all parties, really. Yeah, in terms of Lacazette, do you think that Arsenal probably need a new forward anyway, Joel? Is that something you think that maybe they should be looking at in January? Because from January, Lacazette can start discussing pre-contract agreements with other clubs. It looks like he would have signed a new deal by now if he was going to stay. So do you think that Arsenal probably do need to have their sights set on a new striker anyway? Or do you think that someone like Eddie Eddie and Ketia would be trusted to fill that void? Yeah, well, I mean, when you look at their main striking options at the moment, it's Aubameyang, who's, you know, in his early 30s. Lacazette's just turned 30. Um, and looking at Arsenal's strategy at the moment, they seem to be going for young players in every corner of the pitch. Um, just in terms of last summer, where they basically, I think the average age of their transfers was around 24. So it just kind of shows the direction they're going in at the moment. And I think that Willian transfer has really scarred them in terms of giving players in the twilight of the careers massive contracts and then them just kind of really taking a huge kind of dump in the middle of the in the season or in the middle of the contracts even. But, you know, with Lacazette, it's something that um, I'm quite surprised with in a way, just purely because he's, he's someone who actually can be relied upon. Because since his debut season in that 2017-18 season and since then, He's never scored less than 10 goals in the league. And that's a pretty decent stat for someone who's come from another country as well. Um, and to be fair, he did come in the peak of his career from Lyon when he was getting, you know, 25, 30 goals every season. But at the age of 30, I'm sure Arsenal are not looking to give him a new three to four year contract where two years into it, he's giving them, you know, half of that output. They're going to have to try and move him on, give him huge compensation if they really want to force him out. And like Marley said, he's never been that starting figurehead in the side. They need fast, pacey strikers to fit their style of play. And Lacazette's the kind of very static um, player who, you know, wants ball to feet. And looking at their options at the moment, you know, with Aubameyang as well, they gave him a huge contract of 250000 300000 a week. And he's putting half the output he did when he actually signed it. So it's probably a good sign from the Arsenal board that they're not rewarding players who, you know, maybe they could be potentially a nice two-year contract in there, but for the benefit of the club and the benefit of younger players coming through, it's not in the best interest of their club at all. And it probably is best for all parties if he moves on, despite the fact that he has pretty good output in the last few years. Marley, do you think Lacazette's been a success at Arsenal? Is that something that we can ascertain now he scored 50 Premier League goals in 130 Premier League games for Arsenal that's not a bad record you know he scored 100 in 200 I think it was for Lyon before that so in terms of whether he's been a success at Arsenal because there have been a couple of FA Cup successes along the way would you say that that has been the case and he has proved his value at the Emirates yeah I think so I think um, it'd be harsh to call him a flop um especially with like the way Arsenal have gone in the years he's been there you know I think they've gone slightly backwards as a club um obviously they they were much better um when they when he first joined there um but he's I think he's done enough he, I just think that the club has gone slightly backwards with their decisions all all around the club it's not it's not like he's come in and and been totally rubbish and that's why Arsenal are going backwards because everyone's been rubbish. I feel like the club has just 
sort of stagnated a little bit, got a few decisions wrong. Still decent in cups, you know, they, they won the FA Cup, um, beating Man City and Chelsea in, in 2018, wasn't it? Uh, 2019, wasn't it? So it's... Um, it, yeah, it's it's too harsh to call him call him a failure. Um, so, was it fifty goals in one hundred and thirty games? That's a decent record, you know. I just think other other parts of the squad and other parts of the club haven't really took Arsenal on to the level they might have expected to be. When you asked them five years ago, where do you expect to be in five years? They'd, they'd still say top four Champions League, of course, but it hasn't worked out like that. And I'm I'm not entirely sure that's down to. Lacazette and Aubameyang. I just think it's other other parts of the club have have not matched up to the uh, the talent that they've shown. What sort of level of striker Marley do you think that Arsenal should be targeting then if they are to bring someone in, or do you think that as I said before, Enketia might be used as an option because you know Lacazette was signed from a big French club, Aubameyang was signed from a big German club, and both of them have scored goals for Arsenal. In all fairness, but things have changed with the Gunners since then in terms of perhaps. The, the caliber of player they can attract, particularly with the recent performances and their recent placing. There's no European football there, of course. So, what sort of caliber of player do you think that Arsenal are going to be able to attract? Because they're still one of the best supported clubs in European football. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I, I would try and do the same again. Go and go and sign a, a prolific striker in 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 another league. Um, I'm not sure what they're quite what their pulling power is, but why can't you look at someone like Luka Jovic at uh, Real Madrid? Um, he's, I think, he's back. At, is he back at Frankfurt now? Maybe um, on loan. Is he on loan still? I think he might be. Um, but you know, could you get him for for thirty million, forty million? He, I think he went to Real Madrid for sixty. Never really got a kick. Um, you know, the manager situation at Real Madrid. No one expects Ancelotti to be there for another another two or three years. Maybe, maybe another year. Um, and then they'll go with whatever's flavor of the month that that month. So could you go and get him? There's Vlahovic in in Serie A at Fiorentina. He's basically waiting to be bought. Um, he's been linked with a lot of clubs. Um, there's obviously going to be ridiculous competition there, but I'm not sure if uh, if the elite clubs in in the world are going for him. So you know, could could you do that? Um, but it's it's that type of level. Like I would just go and see who's scoring goals around Europe and has been for two years or three years, and and you, I think you can still pull them to Arsenal. That's not that's not an issue yet for me. They, it's not like they've stunk the place out for for seven years and they've been useless. They're still winning cups um, recently. Um, they've they, I think the the manager still. I think the general consensus is that he still knows he still has an idea and and has the, most of the squad behind him. He just needs new players. To, to bed into that, there's there's youth coming through. Um, Saka, Smith Rowe, and the likes of those guys are are still you know quality players. They just need help, um, and they need help in terms of goals, in my opinion. So, yeah, go and just go and sign someone from from abroad. It's worked with Aubameyang. I think it's worked with Lacazette. Why not? Why not stick with that um, that remit and go again? Yeah, certainly. Well, we'll have to wait and see what happens with Lacazette between now and the end of the season. It's suggested, though, by several newspapers and reports, including this one from Football London, that the Frenchman won't sign a new Arsenal deal. That's it for today's Football Social Daily. England playing tonight. We'll have reaction of that tomorrow with Fergal Brennan and co. on the podcast. But that's it for now. Premier League returns at the weekend and we'll be looking ahead to that as well. But we'll catch you next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.
It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.